Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Anything But Typical Podcast. This is going to be kind of fun because Jan Barefoot has been here in the studios before, but as an observer, now she is behind the hot mic. (laughs) So Jan, welcome. Thank you. So here's the question. We learned that Jan likes to play golf when she has the opportunity, because she, like many entrepreneurs, is working a lot. But the scenario is you've taken a couple-week vacation, much well and well-deserved, and you're going to treat yourself to a round of golf in Maui. And so you are going to the clubhouse, and somebody from the mainland, I know it seems far-fetched, but not all that far-fetched, they recognize you. And they go, hey, that's Jan Barefoot. And they start talking about you, but not realizing that you can overhear everything that they're saying about you. What would you want somebody to say about you? Well, first off, I'd love to be in Maui right now because it's really (laughs) cold out here in Charlotte. Um, You know, what I do is help people and typically what's the worst time of their whole life Mm. whether it be a divorce or a criminal case so i think what i would hope that they would say is hey that's jan barefoot i was going through a really rough patch Mm. and she and her company really helped me out Mm. and brought me on the other side well there you go that's a really great answer (laughs) (laughs) well it's what we do and it's why i love what i do yeah yeah well we'll dive into more of that Yep. So Jan's the founder and CEO of Barefoot Professional Investigations. But before we get to that, I want you to share with the listeners, what were you doing before you got in the investigative industry? Well, I was really young when I got, when I became a PI. So my story, my journey, everybody wants to know is how did you get into this Mm -hmm. business? So the guy I dated in high school was always cheating on me. So I always caught him. And so he literally would always say you should be a PI. So after catching him a couple of times, um, I really, (laughs) I thought I wanted to be a legal secretary when I grew up. So I went to King's Business College, which is literally um, a six-month secretarial school here in Charlotte. Wow. And so unlike many of your guests who have like four MBAs, I'm, you know, I have a six-month secretarial degree. You would be surprised. (laughs) Jan, you would be surprised. Yeah, we have the full range of people that have four degrees and people that didn't even graduate high school yeah right? okay yeah well so i i became a legal secretary went to work for james McElroy deal here in charlotte who everybody knows oh yeah worked there for a couple of years for several of their attorneys and met another investigator who was in town who had just started his business and i did both jobs for a while worked part-time for him and then after a couple of years ended up just leaving the the law firm going full-time with him because i just love the work yeah and again, a couple of years after that, I um, started my own business at um, 23. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious what led to the starting of your own business, right? You could have stayed being a PI exactly where you were. You could have yeah. kept that career going. So what led to you saying, I'm going to go and found this? Uh, probably not what you think. Um, it was... Uh, it was not a good working environment. Mm-hmm. And so I left there really not knowing what I was going to do. I mean, I was 23. Mm-hmm. I owned a house because my dad was a contractor. So I was already out on my own. And um, I think, honestly, because my parents owned their own business, it was not foreign to me. And I think because I was mm-hmm. too young and stupid to be scared, I just went for it. I mean, I did <laughs> not have, I had very little savings. It wasn't something I'd planned for. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I tell the story, I vividly remember the days of going to the grocery store and peanut butter and jelly. I mean, that was it. I mean, so when you start from those days, I think you just never forget them. Right. It's funny, the the ignorance that a lot of people have talked about on this podcast of, had I known what I was getting into, maybe I wouldn't have done it. But but the ignorance of, I'm just going to go do this and it's going to be fine. No doubt. Yeah. And I... I mean, I'm not a good marketer. So, I mean, I had business cards, you know, designed myself. I had them printed and started knocking on doors for attorneys. Mm. And um, I did not like it. I hated it. I was uncomfortable with it. I didn't think I was very good at it. Um, But I fortunately had a couple of attorneys who gave me an opportunity. 
and um, it just blossomed from there. So before we get into the the building of that, you had mentioned your parents owning their own company, and and we've seen a lot of that, of exposure Mm -hmm. to entrepreneurship early on. So how did that impact you as you began to go into your own journey of being an entrepreneur? It was a very modest construction company. In fact, my dad um, had a heartbeat for low-income uh, mm. people. So he got into doing the, the FHA, Fannie Mae-type loans and built um, a lot of modular houses, the, the two-piece houses, yeah. not, not the trailers, but the two-piece houses, yeah. and really was able to provide a home for a lot of people who would not normally have been able to mm. afford it. Uh, you know, I was 20 one when i owned my first home and because of that program my house payment was 163 dollars a month wow but i was a homeowner and so (laughs) he just loved helping people who were in need and so you know i saw many trials and tribulations my parents ran it together Mm -hmm. so you can imagine Mm -hmm. you know there was lots of ups and downs um you know whenever they would close a loan uh, we would all go celebrate at the ranch house on Wilkinson Boulevard, which is now closed. And so if you've been in Charlotte for a long time, you know the ranch house. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I think I just saw that's what they did almost all of my life. And so I just th- thought, okay, that's, that's what I was meant to do, mm. even though I really didn't know what I was doing because I was so young. Yep. So take us through those, those early years at the business. You, you make the leap. You escape a not great working environment you go do your own thing and start knocking on doors at at law firms what's what's the early phase of your entrepreneurship journey look like uh probably like most you know working 22 hours a day and kind of trying to stay above water absolutely (laughs) just trying to keep from drowning you know you're doing everything in the business because it was just me and so i'm doing the books i'm doing the surveillance i'm doing you know criminal defense work i'm interviewing witnesses i'm meeting with attorneys so i'm I'm doing everything so Mm -hmm. um you know probably again i had a couple of attorneys that just gave me an opportunity and and one of them i just saw last week he's retired now and he told uh, our office the story of one of the first cases that he gave me and it was a It was a pretty large case and I spent a lot of time on it and learned a lot on it. But he was like, Jan, you look like you've put a lot of time into this. I don't know if our client can afford this. Mm. And I, you know, I didn't charge him for probably 25% of it because I realized part of it was a learning opportunity for me. And so that was one of the things that really sold him is that, you know, I cared about the client and I wanted the best outcome for the client. And I feel like when when you care, the yeah. clients are going to come and the money's going to come. It shouldn't all be about the dollar mm-hmm. on your invoice. I think the rest of it takes care of itself. Yep. Yeah, that well, makes perfect sense. Uh, after the point of starting on your own, you go from, because I think entrepreneurship is different, right? If you're a solopreneur and you're doing everything yourself, it's exhausting, but it's a different type of exhausting compared to having people underneath you. Right. So how did you adapt to that next evolution of, of actually having other people besides yourself in the company? So one of the first big leaps that I took was was taking out a Yellow Page ad. If you guys oh, yeah. remember yeah. Yellow Pages, some, of the, some of the some of the listeners were not may not remember Yellow Pages. Um, so that was the first the first big um, jump that I took because that was a lot of money for me. Um, and then I, I did hire an employee who helped me with surveillance. And so I really kind of just grew organically. I, was, I obviously started out of my house um, and was in my house probably about a year and a half before uh, rented space. Uh, that's how I met the attorney that um, I saw last week. Mm-hmm. We uh, were in the same building. And so I, I grew pretty organically I as I said I was not a good marketer and so I don't feel like that's my talent and um, I really don't feel like I have a talent for as a visionary to grow a business Mm. Um, I've always been a fly by the seat of my pants kind of gal I mean really I mean admittedly I mean I've been in business 37 years now and um, you know until about three years ago it was just taking it one day at a time and so I grew until about eight people and it was manageable. I was still working cases and still able to, um, you know, with the help of some admin people, run the day-to-day of the business. Um, About when COVID hit, um, I started talking with Brian and we just sort of 
we're talking about where's barefoot PI going to go. You know, I don't mm. want it to fizzle out when I when I start to slow down. So we need mm-hmm. to come up with a plan and a strategy. Um, so we decided to hire uh, a president, and so I brought in a president who has an MBA background. He came in in January of 2001, and that for me was a real change of mindset. So That's I had right. to go from fly the seat by the seat of my pants to all right let's think five years out let's think seven years out and that didn't come naturally to me sure and so brian really has been a mentor Mm. uh, in that area for me so anybody listening she's referring to brian listen to his podcast or his episode brian anders one of the more fascinating, and that says a lot because I say everybody that's been on this podcast has a fascinating story. They really do. But, you know, this guy ends up <laughs> getting around his non-compete by buying a single-engine airplane to fly 150 miles radius to get outside of the onerous, um, and who knows whether it was even defensible, non-compete that he had. With but, two young children at home. Yes, like, and, and they're married, just yes. so you know. Um, and he's, he, uh, in that podcast, he talks about how he, he gives so much credit to you, Jen, which I think is really cool because I want to even get into some of that. But uh, listen to Brian Anders' episode because it's, it's quite enlightening. So that'll put some context when you're saying Brian. But in both of those cases, you said hey, you know, I'm not a great marketer, I'm not a great visionary. Well, part of your EQ is understanding what you love to do and what you don't like to do. And and that is extremely freeing for anyone, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. Understanding what you love to do and quit trying to push yourself into doing that just because the title, you think everybody does that. Exactly. And that... um That was not really an adjustment for me from an ego standpoint or a control standpoint, although Brian may tell you differently. (laughs) I feel like it was just, uh, just, I feel like I had awareness of Mm -hmm. my limitations. And while I was growing organically, that was okay. You know, I didn't have to worry about the rest of it. Now that we have made a, a concerted, decided effort to grow, um, I've become more and more aware of, okay, my limitations and to, it's been easier for me to hand off those responsibilities. Mm-hmm. You know, 25, th- uh, you know, when I was 25 and 30, 35 years old, I wasn't ready to do that. Like yeah. I, I was very high strung in my younger <laughs> years. And so I realized, uh, when we interviewed for the president's position in 2021, he asked me, he said, Jan, why now? Why are you expanding mm. now? Why do you want to hire me now? And I, my answer was I wasn't ready. Mm. I wasn't developed enough. I wasn't aware enough mm. to know where I needed you know, someone else to step in. So a question for you. So you're two and a half or three years into this, right, where you've hired an outside president that has some of the stuff that you felt like maybe I don't have or whatever, right? So you want to scale it. I've seen more failures than not when people try to do that. Oh, they bring in somebody that has all the credentials, blah, blah, blah. And especially if they've got big credentials and they've got bigger experience, which in, in, on paper sounds fantastic, but then cultural nuances usually cause the failure. Talk to us about, like, how have you, what do you think has been a key? for that working to this point because usually the failure is in less than 12 months on that kind of a deal. So you've, you've clipped past that. And I saw Brian do the same thing. So what do you think for anybody listening that's thinking, man, yeah, I may need to do that or, hey, I pulled that trigger and I'll never do that again because it got burned because I've seen being burned more often than not. What would you attribute the success so far with that hire i appreciate you saying that that a lot of businesses don't make it past it because it has been hard Mm -hmm. um we got very lucky with chris our president he's been a fabulous cultural fit Mm. i mean just 
He's just so phenomenal. Crucial. I mean, he's just the greatest guy. He comes from, um, you know, um, operations, consulting world. So that's his area of expertise. And he was 32 when we hired him. So, you know, no experience in the real world growing mm-hmm. businesses. And honestly, the, la- the last three years from a cultural experience has been it's been freeing for me. I've loved having someone there to bounce ideas off of, which yeah. I hadn't had for 35 years. It's just me. Mm-hmm. And so that piece has been so enjoyable. Um, but honestly, you know, you definitely have to be prepared to fund it, you know? Mm-hmm. So we, we knew that was coming. And so we were prepared for that. And um, after three years now, uh, Chris and I both decided, all right, we need some uh, more concentrated guidance. And so Brian is coming in. He's been mentoring mm. Chris and I kind of monthly over the last three years, kind of helping us along the way. But my, I've come to the point now where I'm ready to not run the business. Mm. I'm ready to just do investigative work. It's what I love. It's what I'm really good at. And so um, Brian's going to come in and spend more time with us to help us get past that hump Mm. of, you know, 12 to 15 people, as you're talking about. I've told my team, you know, this week I said, it's hard and and we're going to get there. But, you know, most a lot of businesses fail at this stage and we're not going to fail. We're still doing fine. Revenue is still growing. Expenses are growing a little faster than we want them to. Sure. Um, So I think, you know, having someone I'm fortunate that it's my husband who is going to come in for free, whether he knows it or not. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, having awesome. that having that mentor, if, if, if you have that visionary limitations or any limitations, yeah. you know, a Vistage group or yeah. just guidance is really key. I'm curious. Have, have you been a part of any of those groups in the past? I have not. So this Brian coming in is the first formal mentorship guidance type structure that you've had in your career? Yes. I mean, we've been married for 30 well, yeah, plus yeah, years, so I've had That's why through informal, because yes, I'm sure you formal. guys have been yeah. talking forever. Yes. But yeah, the difference of we're going to do this for the company instead of over dinner, you're picking his brain. Exactly. And it's, and it's funny how intentional it has to be. Yes. Like he and I can't just talk at dinner about things because it's it's not intentional enough so mm-hmm. sometimes chris will ask me well did you talk about brian you know this with brian last night i'm like no but we're going to meet on that tomorrow because we really have found yeah. of course there's challenges with people working together and being married but we found mm-hmm. it has to be dedicated time to sit down in the right environment not at home you know yeah. you have to separate the two Yep. Um, so yes, this is the the first sort of formal mentor mentorship that we've had. Yeah, that's so interesting. So in the early phase of that, what what benefits have you seen for yourself and then also for the company? The well, Brian actually starts tomorrow with, in his full time <laughs> position. So, but I already have seen benefits, right. and a lot of those benefits are just his experience in you know, the org chart, because, you know, I had for 37 years have been in a spider web where I'm in the mm-hmm. center and I have my hands in everything. Not that I want to, it's just, that's the way it's been. Yeah. Cause I, ca- I came from a family operated business where that's the way it works. Mm-hmm. And so, um, helping me untangle myself, um, and seeing him put that down on paper just in the last couple of weeks as we develop a plan has just mm. been incredibly enlightening. It's like, I look at myself and I'm go, why didn't I figure that out like five years ago? You know, <laughs> because you just put it on paper and it's phenomenal. Yeah. And, you know, just the reporting aspect, the things that, number one, I don't have a background in, but number two, I never had time to do. Mm-hmm. But now I'm starting to realize the importance of reporting and accountability. Yeah. I love the prioritization of that. You're making this a focus. And Gary, I'm curious for you, because you've done a lot of this, of mm-hmm. CEO coaching, things like that. For the listeners who haven't taken that step, what are some of the biggest benefits you've seen from a business or from a mm. business owner in particular when they do make that leap and, and make this a focus? Yeah, well, I got introduced to an outside coach in 1991 on my first turnaround when I was 28 years old. And um, and I had no experience. I'm a college dropout, so anybody want to know? So, um, and... So I, I had imposter syndrome in a big way, and we didn't even know what that term was. But when the 
outside coach was brought in to basically take a failing company that was bankrupt that didn't even have the money to go bankrupt, which you, believe it or not, you actually have to have money to go bankrupt, <laughs> which is crazy. But, um, and he was 10000 bucks a day plus expenses, and you paid him up front, and that was, that's 23000 bucks a day in today's money. Mm. Well, it was because it was super desperate. Like, everything was on the line. And we succeeded and failed at the same time. We, we came in second in a four-firm shootout. Second was great because we beat out two much larger companies. It paid the same as last, nothing. Mm. So we all took pay cuts. Everybody quit except for me and my partner. And I, I was kind of like in that situation with Chris. I was 28. My partner was 50. And, you know, we got to take pay cuts and we got to do what we got to do. And then we scale. But every time that we brought in Stuart from Richmond, Virginia, and he had expertise in what we needed, which was in business development in particular, but he had helped scale companies too. It was a huge gulp. I didn't pay that first check because that's how he found me. But every other check, I got to pay 50% of it. <clears throat> and so it meant, honey, we are not going on a vacation, <laughs> you know, whatever. But, um, and, you know, dumb ter or terminals at that time for a, a, and we were a design and advertising firm. One workstation was 12,000 bucks plus um, software. Oh, well, and as you're growing, you got to invest in that. So you got somebody to do that, right? Right, right. I mean, those were some really hard trade-offs. But since then, what I realized was, it, like, that guy didn't give us any magic bullets, but he gave us confidence and we could move faster. Mm -hmm. And by the way, because we were paying, <laughs> we paid attention. That's it. You know, I mean, that was it. Mm -hmm. he, yes, he had expertise. But when I look at it, it's like, oh, like what you were saying. Oh, man, when you put it down on paper, it's pretty simple. Yeah. Most things are. But since then, uh, a friend of mine said, Gary, it's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. Exactly. And that's it. Yeah. And outside perspective is really, really important. But the other thing that I would say that we learned, and I learned at a very young age, because I was doing everything, and I, I said, all right, Bill, my partner, um, I was interviewing at Coca-Cola in Atlanta. I wanted a name that I thought would validate me. I also wanted to get in the South because we had family in Nashville and in Huntsville, Alabama. And I wanted to get out of the Midwest in particular if I could, but I really wanted some validation. So I said, listen, I'm interviewing with these guys. You're gonna have to hire three people to replace me. And these are the things. Well, as we did that, I was having too much fun and I didn't wanna leave. But what you said was really important and that is Focus on the stuff that you actually love to do. Hire people around you that do the stuff that you may even be really good at doing. I mean, you had to get proficient in all these things, Jen. But you hired people that could be proficient in these other things, and they may not even be as good at you as you at initially. But let them do the stuff that they love to do. Right. Hire people like that, and then all of a sudden the magic happens. I mean, it's really simple. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yep. not, it's not, if a Kansas dude could figure that out, you know, it's really simple. But a lot of times you have to kind of swallow your pride too. You have to, you know, have some humility. And that's one of the things that I love about your story already is just hearing the background with your father, his heartbeat for, you know, um, people that needed affordable housing finding a way and that's not the big money maker part of construction typically because like who are you serving right so i just think that's really important and that's a, a similar heartbeat i think that we've heard from many of our our mm -hmm. you know guests on this this uh, yeah. podcast so yep no absolutely um so i want to keep going in in this direction because one of the things that's unique about your story is the longevity of how long you were doing something in a similar fashion, right? Keeping a smaller company doing 18 different tasks when you probably should have been doing three. <laughs> so as you're going through that and you start adding some more employees, how, what was your decision-making process of where you were going to spend your time? And how did you divide that up and, mm. and manage the other employees that were coming in? Cause I cannot imagine that that's simple to do. 
It's not simple. You're right. Um, (laughs) You know, I think I was a bad manager, honestly. I feel like that I had great people around me and I got by because I had such great people around Mm. me who really didn't need managing. Okay. And I think that's, uh, you know, we were able to stay successful because I had great people. Um, And I think had I been a better manager, we could have grown at that time more than just organically. Yep. So I really was a bad manager. I even think today I'm a bad manager. (laughs) Um, Where's that self-awareness come from? Because that's a major strength. That can be a superpower, especially in business. How did you develop that? Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Um, You know, I've always just been very street smart. Mm. You know, as I said, I didn't go to college, Mm -hmm. and I feel like I just have a lot of common sense, and I think... Um, that has really gotten me very far in the industry, number one. Um, but number two, I feel like that, you know, had I gone to school and gotten an MBA, I would have been so much more about the numbers. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. for 35 years, 37 years, even now, it's about the client. And it's about how can we serve the client and what's the best, best outcome for the client. And yeah, we want to make money. You know, that's why we're here. But so much of it for me is about that, um, what I gain from helping people out in bad situations. I mean, every one of our clients, 95% of them are going through the worst time of their whole Mm -hmm. life, you know? And so when we help them out and when we're there for them, that's where I get my satisfaction. That's what feeds me. Yep. We've hinted at a few different times of you serving clients, but can you share with the listeners a little bit more specifically of who, who's your typical case? What are some of the things that you're doing on a consistent basis? Um, it's a pretty wide range, um, but you think of your typical divorce situation where you know someone thinks their spouse is cheating on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, many times they don't have anybody else to talk to, so they suspect that something's going on, and so they call us. And so we're investigators slash psychologists because yeah. we've got to help talk them through those situations. Um, you know, missing persons, somebody's lost a, a kid or a you know brother. Um, you know, nowadays mm. there's so much fraud going on. So we we do a lot of criminal defense work. So for 25 years, I spent most of my career doing capital and first degree murder cases. So those are all court appointed cases. And so I'm doing criminal defense. So you know, striking that Mm. rapport with the client who's in jail, who really doesn't have anybody, you know, they have their attorney, but most of the time I'm there more than their attorney's there. So, Mm. you know, being that person that's there for them and letting them know that somebody's on their side, somebody's fighting for them, you know, that's all people want is to know that somebody's in their corner fighting for them when they're charged with something like that. Um, But, you know, even recently as technology is developed, you know, we have things like um, I have a professional athlete who a girl tried to to, uh, say he had fathered her child. And we get into false paternity tests and, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And so it's just incredible what people will do these days. Mm -hmm. And so to uncover that and to relieve that person, that client from – number one the emotional tie that he thought he had to that person because he thought it was his kid um and the financial burden of you know what she was trying to rope him into Mm -hmm. um and that's on that's one example of lots of similar situations um where people try to try to take advantage of you know famous people or professional athletes to try to gain you know financial gain yeah there was that the Trevor Bauer case. I don't know if either of you followed that. Who was top level pitcher in baseball and was accused of physical and sexual abuse, and it ruined his career. Absolutely. He was indefinitely suspended out of the uh, MLB. Couldn't play anywhere. Had to go play in China. And then it came out a few months ago that she made all of it up. Wow! It was a one night stand that she just took advantage of and ruined this guy's life. Essentially. Yeah, I mean, wow. exa- I have, um, I don't know if you know what Title IX cases are, but they're yeah. college sports, and you know, when there's a, a sexual assault or alleged sexual assault. And and I'm very passionate about those kind of cases because mm-hmm. there's such a lack of due process in that, in that uh, arena. It's not like a court process. Mm-hmm. It's different. 
And, um, you know, these teenagers are getting accused of sexual assault, and it could very well just be a scorned girlfriend who's mad because she found out, oh, they he had slept with this girl too and you know one call one email to the title nine office bam usually you're suspended Mm -hmm. your whole college life is over if you're found responsible it's typically a he said she said and so it's on your transcript you can't go to another college and enroll because you've been you know found responsible for a title nine violation so it is incredible what how what effect it can have on these people's lives yeah yeah, the, the work you're doing is so personal and impactful. And I think that's one of the things that's that's interesting about mm-hmm. what you're doing. Because we've had a lot of people talk about impact. And, mm-hmm. and yet, every single day, every single person you're serving is at their most deep personal level. And, and that's extremely different than most businesses that we talk to. Right. And that's why I enjoy it. And I mean, I, I, you know, I tell my team, I still love coming to work every day. 37 years. That's pretty incredible. I mean, there's not one day that I've ever woken up and said, I don't want to go into work today. (laughs) Yeah, that's a blessing. So here's a question. Given what you just talked about, I had an uncle that was in the sheriff's department, and it, it so negatively impacted him because of the dregs of what he was seeing, you know, drummed up that he just couldn't take it anymore and he had to completely change careers how have you been able to keep from being jaded when you see lots of injustice and that sort of thing that happens and just kind of moral breakdown you know yeah i i get it i used to tell people that if my, both my parents are deceased now but i used to tell people if i ever caught my dad cheating on my mom that, that would be it like I would lose all confidence in morality, but that fortunately that never happened. Um, You know, I I think that just fuels my passion. Mm. I mean, it just fuels me wanting to set things right. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I, I don't find I'm shocked and disappointed at people's behavior, Sure, but I don't, that doesn't set the standard for, for my life and what I see out in the world because there are a lot of good people. I love that positive outlook I really do and we need to have people that are passionate for championing justice right we do yep well and you had said earlier the that saying of you can't read the label when you're inside the jar you're inside the jar every single day surrounded by negativity so the fact that you can still have that positivity on the, the outlook of the entire world is is impressive thank you thanks (laughs) I'm really curious about the evolution of your industry, right? Especially in that 37-year timeline, there has to be a lot more with things like cybersecurity and things like that now. So I'm really curious, how has your industry evolved over the years? Oh, gosh. I mean, I could go on and on. It's kind of incredible. That's a podcast in itself. It is. (laughs) And, you know, but it's funny. When you started that question, I thought you might be going to the evolution of women in in business. And so that was the first thing that popped in my head. It's on my list. We'll probably get there. Okay. All right. Well, I'll (laughs) save that one then. Um, I mean, obviously we went from, um, you know, if you take surveillance, for example, um, you know, just no electronic help on surveillance. It's just your eyes and your car and driving around to, of course, GPS units, which were big and clunky. Uh, in the beginning, they didn't work off cell towers. It had, you know, maybe a half a mile radius, and we're standing outside our car holding this antenna, pointing it different <laughs> directions, going, Am I, did you hear something? Did you hear a beep? You know, um, to, of course, the little air tags, or, yeah. you know, we don't use air tags for GPS, but it's a little bit larger unit than that. Um, so, of course, that's been huge in the surveillance industry. And then just, you know, the data that's on the Internet, I mean, that pretty much speaks for itself. Um, you know, it used to be where you would go down to the courthouse and dig into the records. You could, ser- you know, have to search the books for the, for the um, civil records and the divorces and the judgments. And now all of that's online. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, those of us who have been around a while since that era, we do much more complete and accurate background checks on people because we've been in the, in the arena where we had to dig for it. Um, I had a case uh, this year that was a, a 20-year-old murder case, and it was a wrong. Uh, they were 
the defendant had been released for wrongful uh, conviction. It was a post-conviction case, and they were suing civilly. And um, so we had to go find old records. And so I had to go to the library and dig around for news articles <laughs> about people. And that was just, it sounds crazy, but it was energizing to me to just go back and, and do that again. So the evolution is just, you almost can't keep up with it. But so now what we're dealing with is, all right, social media accounts. Mm-hmm. How do we pull that data down? How do we preserve it for court? Because it's, it, you can't just take a screenshot of it and expect it to be admitted into court because it's not really admissible these days for screenshots. So you've got to make sure you're staying on top of pulling down the metadata and making sure you're doing things properly. So it's, it's really limitless mm-hmm. these days with the evolution of the Internet. How, how has that changed your hiring habits? Because you need to hire for a completely different skill set. Than, than what you did in the past. Absolutely. Um, and it's it's interesting to, to see. You'll find, you know, an older generation, 50s, 60s, and they're either one extreme to the other. Like they've gotten into the social media, they've gotten into the Internet, they've stayed up with technology, or they want nothing to do with it. So, mm-hmm. of course, you know, we've got to hire folks who who have stayed up with that technology. Um, and, and but I have seen, you know, there's definitely a trend with the younger generation. I've found that they are fewer and far farther between that they have that common sense and that critical thinking. You know, do we blame that on social media and spending too much time on the Internet? I don't know. But, um, you know, that's the kind of person that we want to look for, whether they're young or old, that yeah. have that critical thinking. That and blend can, of the two. And can think outside the box. You know, it's they're not just there doing what they're told to do. Mm-hmm. Do you have any protocols as part of that? Because hiring decisions, especially small companies, man, each one is so critical. You know, one bad step could really create problems, even in cash flow for everybody. That affects everybody. So, and cultural dynamics, huge. You know, you especially feel it in smaller companies. What, how do you, how do you ascertain, yeah, they have some common sense. Do you have any protocols or screening criteria that you use to help determine do they really have it or do they just interview well? That is a tough question. I mean, that really is, and that is very problematic. We've had several hiring issues just this year, or 23, um, where we thought we had the right person and we didn't, or we thought somebody was committed and all in, and then something took a turn, and it's like, okay, they're not committed. Mm. Um, you know, one of the things that I feel like has always made me successful in my business is just my gut feeling i think that's a talent that i have you know there's a lot of talents that i lack but i have a huge you know talent for just gut feeling and it's not always right but i think if i because i've interviewed so many people in my business thousands of people um i think i can sit down with somebody for 45 minutes and have a pretty good idea if they're number one going to be a good fit and number one number two um be you know a person that we can teach how to do this work so for the times when it is the wrong person how how do you handle that internally austin and i were actually just last week talking about the hiring process but then also what happens when you when you oversight or you have that oversight and you have the Mm -hmm. wrong person in the company and sometimes it could just be inadequacy and other times it could be uh, a detriment to the culture but how do you handle that being a, a business owner um, I think it really depends how it's impacting the company. I um, had an office manager um, for about six years, and um, she had you know issues where she was very moody. She would come in one day and mm. she was in a great mood, and she would come. She actually um, had Pez, the little Pez guys, and she would put the face up as to which. So you kind of, <laughs> and you know at first it was kind of cute, yeah. and um, yeah, Gary you know, and I both laughed. Right, it's, it's <laughs> right. funny exactly. And cute after a while, um, you know, you and you try to help those people. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we had, Brian and I had moved her several times. We were emotionally invested. You know, mm-hmm. we were somewhat friends with her. And so we, we just wanted to help her. And, um, and she did a good job. So that was kind of the bad mm-hmm. part about it is she wasn't a great fit for the office, but she did a good job. And um, 
I went on vacation, Ryan and I went on vacation, and it was, I don't even know where we went that year, but it was a great vacation. We were gone, you know, seven or eight days. Um, I came back to the office and um, went in my office. She walked past my office and never said a word. Hmm. Didn't even say good morning. Hmm. And so at that moment, I went and got a box and I put it on her desk and I told her to pack it up because I knew at that moment it it was the detriment. I knew that it was going to be mm. the detriment of the culture of the office because mm. I, I just felt it. And it took me a long time to recognize that yeah. and realize it to the point where I needed to do something about it. So I think you have different extremes. You, mm. you could have that extreme um, or you could have a person that just really is not a great fit, but they're a nice person. And so you want to try to make the transition smooth for them and mm-hmm. smooth for you. Mm-hmm. Gary, as you talked about, in a small business, one one person is a big hiccup for mm-hmm. the whole, you know, there's a lot yeah. of ripples out. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got 30 people, there's not so much of a ripple, but it's a big ripple when you've got 10. Yeah. And um, so you want to try to make that transition smooth, but you also have to be mindful of our sensitive data, you know, our yeah. clients, you know, all that sensitive. And so it's hard to find a balance of, okay, you're not going to steal information. You're not going to be, have access to data that you're not supposed to have. Uh, you're going to continue to work cases, but let's transition you out to a better suited position. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I have the right answer. Uh, yeah. If I, if I were being honest with you, yeah. I don't have the right answer, but I've gone from one extreme to the other of handling those situations. Yeah. I don't know if there is a right answer, right? <laughs> and if there is, you can figure it out, write the book, and then right. you live off there the royalties you forever. You could. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to go back to where you thought I was going to take the question about 15 minutes ago. Okay. And women in entrepreneurship and business ownership. And even looking at our guest list from the last four years, mm-hmm. it's significantly more male than female. Mm-hmm. Not because we're choosing that, but there's a lot more male business owners than female business sure. owners. So that evolution I'm very curious about too because 35, 37 years ago, it yeah. was it was not non-existent but pretty close. Yeah, it's been remarkable to um, to watch the you know we work so closely with attorneys, so it's been remarkable to watch the the women's bar, and I never have been a, a feminist. I, mm-hmm. I guess that's what you call them. I've never been you know hire me because I'm a woman or mm-hmm. I'm better because I'm a woman. I frankly just do. A good job and (laughs) I've never even thought that way and I think I think that's part of the problem with younger women now is Mm -hmm. they think too much along those lines of you know they they're Mm -hmm. just soft you know just toughen up and go Mm -hmm. do your job is kind of the way I think about it but the you know the women's bar in Mecklenburg County was very few you know in the 80s when I started you know I, I had met most of them and to watch the evolution of a number of things how women felt like they had to act and how they felt like they had to dress just to be yeah. on an even playing field i mean there's i've heard stories of you know even in recent years um very experienced female attorneys walking into a conference room for a deposition and the opposing counsel whose male thinks that she's the court reporter so it does still mm. happen for sure, but I think um, there's definitely been a, a change both in the in the investigative industry and in the it, with the bar here in Mecklenburg County and everywhere. I'm sure um, you know you have so many more women judges. There's you know the partners. Of course, there's still more men. I don't necessarily view that. I don't like the numbers game. Like I don't want to mm-hmm. be part of a number. If I'm a female in a law firm, I don't want to be elevated because they need to get their numbers aligned. I want to be elevated because I do a good job. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's funny because your opening question, when I first heard that question at Brian's podcast, the first thing that popped into my head was um, a story. I had walked into Starbucks on East Boulevard one morning and uh, walked in grabbing a coffee, and a woman stopped me, and she said, I just want to tell you, when I saw you walk in the room, you commanded the room and that was very impressive oh how cool and i was probably i was probably 40 maybe 45 and um and i don't know if you know molly barker from she started girls on the run here in charlotte i didn't know her but i knew who she was i had never met her and so of course we started talking and as i think back at, at that 
you know, I think we all come from insecurities and just lack of confidence, mm-hmm. but I think girls especially struggle with that. I never was aware that I necessarily struggled with that, but that meant so much mm. to me is that just the way I carry myself, she didn't say arrogant, she said command. You know, just the yeah. way I carry myself, the way I dress, the, you know, my inner attitude, it just really meant a lot to me that she said that. And she took the time to tell me. Yeah. So I thought that was... Yeah, that's cool. It is. Um, well, I'll let you, you get a drink of water. and I'll, I'll <laughs> ask I, went, I went to talk, and my <laughs> voice was not there. <laughs> you know, I, that is so refreshing to hear. And it, I think it's, it's a huge reason why you're successful, too, because... It's not based on arrogance. It's not based on entitlement. It's just based on what you love to do and the confidence, I'm going to do it. And, and a work ethic that's willing to go, okay, what can I afford? Peanut butter and jelly. We've had a number of people yeah. like that. I mean, I think about Esbeth and Daya with mm-hmm. uh, Inside Automation. His story was unbelievable. And we found out about his story from Patty Comer who's been on here with the crew partners. And when I heard his story, I mean, they all they could afford was oatmeal and peanut butter. That's mm-hmm. it. And, um, and the guy is running a multi, multi-million dollar company and just doing great, but grateful. Right. He's grateful, and he's a well-read person. So I want to go into that. Do you read? Oh, man, Gary, you're not going to like my answer. <laughs> oh, I don't care. <laughs> I'm not a big reader, and I just um, I like to be doing things. You know, I like to I like to implement things, and so that is that is um, one of my faults for sure. I I need to read more because I need to learn more. Uh, ben and I were talking about you know podcasts, and I I have am so well intended about listening to more podcasts, <laughs> but it's like when I get on the airplane, it's like dang, I forgot to download something, or yeah. in my car, I'm on the highway trying to you know dial you guys up and cue you up on the so I can listen while I'm driving um I but I am very self-aware in that area and I need to do better because there's so much more I could learn about running a business well here's what I'd say this is a judgment-free zone (laughs) we have a lot of people one of the things that I have seen is we do have a lot of readers but we also have a lot of people that are not necessarily readers, but they're learners, they're observers, and they're very curious. And so I would, I, it seems to me like your curiosity is still pretty high. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's very apparent. Yeah, <laughs> so <thanks>. anybody <laughs> listening, you, you know, she, and you have to be, to be an investigative person, like a PI. Like you have to have, a, you know, a creativity and just curiosity. And so whether, you know, whether you're a big reader or podcast listener to or TED Talks learner, whatever, the curiosity seems to be the key. Curiosity blended with humility and teachability, don't mm-hmm. you think? Yeah. It, your initial reaction of, oh, I don't read, that's a bad thing. It's more of the curiosity and the learning and growing. And that's going to take different forms for everybody, right? I mean, the all the studies in education now of how people learn is drastically different. Some people are going to be able to listen to a podcast and pick it up. Other people need to read it. Other people need to write it down. Other people need to be doing projects. And it's just everyone learns differently. So if the curiosity is there, I think the vehicle of how people grow is pretty irrelevant. Yeah, you're probably a kinetic learner. I mean, if you love to be doing, I do too. Yeah, yeah. You know, you probably learn by kinetically doing. Right, right. Right. Yeah. I even though I do have a remarkable like you, I do like paper. Like it, if somebody comes into my office to talk to me about a file, it's like they know they got to hand it to me. I got. I don't even care if they tell me every word that's in there. I still have to look at it, yeah. touch it, and see what's in it. Yeah, I think that's part of that's just knowing who you are versus trying to be what you think is the model of oh well, a business owner or CEO, entrepreneur needs to be like this 
Well, and I still struggle with that. Honestly, I find myself, you know, I don't spend a lot of time on social media, but even when I'm scrolling through LinkedIn, Mm. I'll see posts and things like, oh man, I should really be doing that. I should. And I honestly feel like I'm falling short Mm -hmm. because I'm not, you know, putting out training or I'm not, you know, writing articles. So I, I have to limit myself with that because I am really aware of how, I mean, you're a professional LinkedIner. I mean, there's nobody that's better and more broad than you are about it. Um, well, comparison kills gratitude. I know that, Jan. And it also gives rise to imposter syndrome. It really does. Um, and I look at guys like, his name, he changed his name to Oliver Smith, but it was Oleg Vizhnipolsky. Uh, and then with the Ukrainian war, he, because he's he was Russian, uh, he changed his name. But he had, you know, he has a couple million followers, mm-hmm. right? And if he ever hits your post, boom! Like I'm, I'm not kidding you. All he has to do is put a like on it, and boom, it goes crazy. Well, it's easy to compare. I'm like, oh, but I, you know, I, I would just say anybody listening, be who you are, mm-hmm. and quit comparing. Yeah, take things that we can learn from one another, and if it resonates and it all of a sudden it start, it sparks a fire inside you, pay attention to that. Right. And I think really what, looking back in my, on my journey after 37 years, and, you know, I'm not finished, I'm going to work forever, um, <laughs> I've, it's been interesting to look back at my younger self to see how I have changed. Again, I used to be you know, just hot as a firecracker. I mean, Brian can tell you I was pretty much a handful. I would, I would, I was pretty high strung and how he stayed with me, I don't know, but he deserves a medal for that. But, and, and even in my younger, you know, business owner days, I was a much tougher boss. And so, yeah, I was harder on my employees. And so I've, I've definitely mellowed, uh, but I was also raising two kids, working full time, and it was a lot. You know, I was yeah. I was a maniac. There was no doubt about it. <laughs> so I've mellowed in my years, but I've also just learned. And so it's been interesting to to watch how how much I've learned and how my uh, receptors have changed. Mm. Because now I really am ready for Brian to come in and help mentor the business you know in 2000 and I mean in 2021 I was ready for Chris to come in as president I wasn't ready before that Mm. and wouldn't even have entertained it honestly yeah yeah so I think throughout your seasons of life are going to affect you know how successful you can be honestly yeah I want to now that you've you kind of brought up raising kids being married to an entrepreneur as well who's Definitely thinking outside the box, you know. Hey, I'm going to buy an airplane, and we're. I'm gonna... not sure if he knows where inside the box is. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, like, man, that is really interesting. And you know, I I I think about Michael and Cindy Prager. Yep. Both had wildly successful entrepreneurs, completely different businesses, and. Cindy was raising kids too. Like, man, how did you do that besides just being a maniac? Like, how did you do that? I don't know. I mean, uh, when Brian and I first got together, he was in school the first nine years of our relationship. So wow. I was I was running a business. He was in school. Of course, he worked part time to to help pay his way. Um, and so then I, you know, I was like, I'm not marrying you till you get a job. Because, I mean, a real profession, because I really do believe mm-hmm. once people come into their industry is once they sort, they sort of settle in into, mm. into really who they are. And so I kind of felt strongly that I wanted him to be out of school. Uh, so we were shooting for May of 94. We met in 90. Mm. He, he actually wasn't 21 when I met him. Yeah, just a few days. I had to buy him a first beer when we went on date. I had to buy it for him. So, uh, so um, uh, we were shooting for May of 94. He was going to graduate undergrad. And then right before that, it was like, hmm, I think I'm going to go to grad school. I'm like, okay, so um, we're building a house. You know, I don't know about grad school. He's like, I was like, okay, fine. And so he went to grad school and then finally, you know, got a job finally. And so then we started having kids. And uh, then he comes home with this, uh, I think I want to do my own thing. I really want to buy an airplane, as you said. And, um, you know, 
it really was not that traumatic for me. Um, it was just okay. I was wow. like, all right, let's do it. I, wow. I don't know why. I mean, I had complete confidence in him. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind that he would be successful, even at the young age that he was at. So I never really wavered on, oh, my gosh, how are we going to get through this? It was just like, okay, mm-hmm. let's do it. Mm-hmm. So we did. He started out in my conference room in my office and um that was uh, almost 20 years ago and now he's come full circle as you know he's turned the reins of delta v over to his president and now just today he's moved back into office space at my office so isn't that cool i mean well and what i think is cool about it is that even though i pick on him and you know he can annoy the heck out of me because he's my husband and that's what they do we annoy each other i'm excited about him being back in, you know, mentoring us in the yeah. business. I mean, I really am excited about how much I can learn, and Chris and I and the whole business can learn from him. So, you know, I really do have a mm. respect for his um, his business acumen, and he's just a great mm. he's just a great guy. He is. Yeah. Anybody listening, follow Brian Anders <laughs> on LinkedIn. He, he's doing some great content too, which mm-hmm. is fun. But um, you know, I, you, you also mentioned another thing that's really, I think, interesting because we've had a number of husband and wives that have been in the same business too. Yep. And others that are entrepreneurs that have said, "Yeah, I couldn't work." You know, I'm thinking of a couple of them that had their own uh, businesses, husband and wife, separate businesses, and they're like, "Yeah, I couldn't work with the spouse, the, yep. my spouse." You may not have been able to work with him earlier on either. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I think that, again, goes with the season of life. And so, yeah. you know, for sure, you know, 15 years ago, I could not have. But now I'm in a different season of my life. He's in a different season of his. And uh, I think, I mean, we do just have that mutual respect and admiration. I mean, we have issues for sure. I mean, everybody does. Sure. But we're past raising the kids. I'm not sure that I answered your question when you were talking about kids, but everybody knows it's really tough, you know, when you're raising kids. Yeah. And, you know, and we had businesses of our own. We each coached, coached our daughter's softball team. So mm. I coached Peyton. <laughs> he coached Cameron. So we were traveling every weekend. It was a crazy life. And you look back on it and you go, you know, I can't, yeah. I can't believe I did that. Right. And you just get through it. I mean, you just do. Take it one day at a time. Again, I'm a fly by the seat of my pants kind of gal. Yep. As we get to the end here, uh, I want to ask, and this can be related to investigation, protecting people personally. It can be to business leaders. Take this wherever you'd like. But what's some final advice or guidance that you'd want to give to the listeners? I think um, don't try to do it all. Mm. I mean, don't try to be a hero. You know, ask for guidance. Um, take it one step at a time. You know, if you're don't grow just because you think that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Don't hire 20 people because that's what the next guy down the street's doing. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends who came into this industry um, that I know across the state, and they most of them come from law enforcement, and so they're great investigators, and they come into business, and they're not good business people, mm-hmm. primarily because they just spend more than they were making. Um, so I think that's just it. Just you know, use the take the guidance from the people around you, and just take it slow, and just don't try to push because you know for 35 years I grew organically. I didn't have social media media i don't didn't have a lot of any outside marketing and you know we took it one day at a time but i was successful mm-hmm. yeah. you know still successful and yeah. so now that we're going into this growth mode it's a different season of mm-hmm. life but it works just fine you know when for us you know when you have seven or eight people and you're doing what you love i mean how can you beat that yeah, yeah. you can't can't. I see that a lot with doing acquisitions uh, in the wealth management space. So many advisors that think they want to also run a business and then quickly realize, no, I like mm-hmm. the advising stuff. I have no idea how to actually run a company. Right. And, and once you figure those things out, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier of, hey, I think I'm really good here. I think I'm really not strong here. And you're just focusing your time where you should be. And then you're surrounding yourself with people that do like to do the things you don't. Right. 
So yeah. thank you so much. This conversation has been phenomenal. Where, where can people find you? Where can people check out the company? Uh, so our website is barefootpi.com. And uh, we're based out of Charlotte. We have a Columbia office. Um, you know, we physically covered uh, the Carolinas, North and South Carolina. But with investigations, you know, and uh, the advent of the Internet, you know, we can do a lot of things we can do just nationally. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so just I love brainstorming with clients or attorneys. So I love attorneys to call me and say, hey, I've got this case. These are the, these are the facts. And what can you do for me? And so I may have 10 ideas or I might have nothing. I might just say, I, I can't help you. Or I can put you in the direction of somebody who can if it's not yeah. my area of expertise. Yeah. So that's one of my favorite things is just kind of brainstorming on, on how to best help the client, um, even if that's not with Barefoot PI. Yeah. 